Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this week we're going to do something new on the podcast. I am really excited to welcome two wonderful, beautiful, conscious parents to the show, and we're going to do a little bit of live on-air coaching. So Nikki and Brian are joining us. They have a lovely blended family with some older kids and then a younger kid who's five, and they are struggling right now to balance boundaries and emotional needs of all of their kids at various different stages of life. So Nikki and Brian, why don't you guys introduce me to or introduce us to your family and kind of what's going on for you guys right now? So I came to the relationship with Nikki. I have three teenagers, Anne, who's 15, Cole, who's 16, and Michael, who's 18. We were kind of surprised at how easy things blended at first. And there are still moments where I think we're very lucky with the way everything is blended. Nikki came to the relationship with Charlotte, who's five right now. As the world has changed with COVID and working from home and schooling from home, things have gotten a little more challenging. So I think that's what we're here to hopefully get some help with. Yeah, you're not alone in that, right? Things are, you know, during times of stress, things that maybe would not have been noticed to get heightened. And I'm so glad that you reached out for support during this time. We're not supposed to do this parenting thing alone. And I'm so glad to have you here so we can talk about things. Thank you. So what's going on? What do you need support on? So some of the things that we've been noticing are that as the older kids have experiences with their anxiety or bigger feelings, we're noticing that Charlotte, now five-year-old, can kind of put on or try on some of those behaviors and kind of play with them a little bit. Some of the things that we might not necessarily want modeled, you know, some word usage or some narrative usage that feels maybe inappropriate, and that we're trying to kind of help the older kids really grow in their own understanding of, you know, so for Anne, social anxiety is a big thing. And when something goes wrong, she can have big feelings about, for example, you know, like everybody's going to hate me, nobody likes me. And, And as she's processing that stuff, that's happening in front of other family members. Charlotte specifically can really struggle with like, oh, I didn't realize that when you make a mistake, you have to be worried that nobody likes you. And then there's times where, you know, Cole or Michael have big feelings that, you know, really affect the whole family, the older kids and the younger kids. So I would say we could use some help figuring out 
you know, for the five-year-old, it's a lot easier to like do the whole like processing through a big feeling thing. Whereas with Cole and Michael who are 16 and 18, it could be really challenging. You know, it's not the same like emotional coaching that you see with younger kids. So I was so used to that with Charlotte growing up, but now I have to kind of ramp up my skill set. Yeah. So I think you guys are hitting on some really interesting pieces and you're in this spot too, where you have these older kids in your home who maybe experienced emotional regulation strategies and parenting that is different than what your five-year-old is experiencing. I know that Nikki and Brian, we've talked in the past about kind of as you are blending your families that Brian, you're coming to realize that you needed to make changes in your parenting, right? Absolutely. And so it makes sense to me that those older kids who maybe got a different approach to parenting into big feelings, they have those thought processes, those narratives, those ideas about themselves, the kind of those thought patterns that aren't necessarily productive or helpful or true, you know? And so the question is, how do we go about helping them kind of re-script, restructure their thoughts and at the same time, keep Charlotte, your little one, kind of protected in this space where she, you know, she's growing up always knowing that her, all of her feelings are acceptable and valid, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the question is how do we kind of preserve Charlotte's sense of of self and identity while we also, you know, kind of sometimes it feels like we're doing like remedial coursework with some of the the older kids on the emotional intelligence stuff. Sometimes like with Cole, for example, I'll say, how did you feel when that happened? And the answer will be nothing. I felt nothing. And then I printed out at like the Gottman feeling wheel. Stupid is an option on the feeling wheel. So now that's kind of the thing is that Cole will say, I feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) At least they're not feeling nothing anymore, but it's still, you know, still that resistance to sit with the feeling and identify it. And one of the things I think that's, I don't want to say it's been a a point of contention, but sometimes has led to difficult conversations for Nikki and I to have are, gosh, why is this so tough to do, you know, with a 15-year-old or with a 16-year-old? Like the four-year-old knows how to apologize. Five-year-old now knows how to apologize better. And some of that is just the experiences they've had. And I think we're lucky in that Anne and Cole specifically and Michael, as of recently, have really kind of taken to this new model, you know, where emotional identification is important. And, you know, there are still times where 15, 16, 18 years of of being treated a certain way or, or behaving a certain way is apt to come up again. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, you know, I think sometimes it, it can be difficult. I think it's great though. My kids have even used some of this stuff to coach me and I'm always gracious when they do it. And I thank them for identifying it. And I hope that it, you know, it really kind of cements that behavior in themselves. But like Anne specifically has said, you know, dad, it doesn't make me feel good when we're, you know, sitting down together and you pick your phone up. Mm. Whereas before we would all, you know, the four of us would would just be faces and phones. And um, so it's amazing to see the, the growth they've they've demonstrated. And they'll say things to Brian or I, like um, I've, I'm recovering from a concussion. So yesterday I needed to lay down for a couple of minutes and just kind of rest after a big meeting. And Anne was like, you're doing a great job. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of you. <laughs> you know, we really see them blossoming and the way that Anne and Cole typically help Charlotte when she's having big feelings and they're like the primary person is very much models the way that I help her process her big feelings. 
and they speak to each other that way increasingly. They also do it with Brian. Like if Brian's having an anxious or grumpy day, they'll say like, hey, Brian, or well, they call me dad. They'll say, they'll say, dad, uh, you know, you're behaving like you might be anxious. Do you need some time or, you know? That's amazing. You know, I remember the first time I spoke to you guys there, I got to hear about how, especially Brian, how open you were to being led by Nikki into more respectful parenting. Um, I always admired that aspect of your couple relationship. Um, And I think that that's a very inspiring thing for people to hear that we can recognize that maybe our approach was unconscious and unintentional before and that we can vulnerably walk alongside our partner as we learn a new way. I think it's beautiful. You know, I've been open with the kids about that. You know, we've talked about feelings of shame or regret or or not doing things that that I should have been doing, you know, a decade ago or or, or more. And and I think even that's good, right? Letting them see that, you know, the the way I did it, we never want to say wrong, but I do express that, you know, I wish I could have done things differently. You know, I raised my kids in a way that was similar to the way I was raised And, and seeing this you know, balanced parenting model. And a lot of the the books we've read has just shown me a better way. And I think it's important, you know, even with your kids to let them know when you think you could have done things differently and that, you know, that you're open to change. And I love, Brian, when you talk about that, you always have so much compassion for yourself. And that is, I think, a key piece to being open to doing something different. We have to start with compassion, right? Absolutely. Oh, you guys, you're such an inspiring couple. I love talking to you guys. Okay, so let's talk about then. So how do we go about kind of creating some boundaries around these big feelings that your older kids are entitled to, to have, the thought processes that they have that are kind of ingrained in them, and honoring the work that they have to do in restructuring their thought habits, um, all while kind of protecting Charlotte, because she's in this place where she is developing those internal working models. The thing that I think would be really powerful and cool would be to have a one-on-one conversation with each of the older kids where you overtly teach them about tricky thoughts, you know, negative thought patterns, they kind of get into some cognitive behavioral therapy type conversations with them. But from a perspective of that, you know, you have these thoughts because they were kind of hardwired into you when you were little. And Charlotte is in that same age where those thoughts are being hardwired. And so it is not your fault that you have these thoughts and we're helping you, you know, make your thought patterns healthier and more in touch with the reality of your unconditional lovability um, and worthiness because we are working towards that because those things are true for all humans that we are born worthy of unconditional love and acceptance right and at the same time like while we're working on those things with the older kids uh, you can tell the older kids that you know wouldn't it be so great if when charlotte grows up and when she's 15 that she doesn't have to undo all of those thoughts you know what I mean like I think you guys are pretty intentional parents are you having conversations like that with your kids now absolutely like I've said guys I'm relearning things that have been in place for 40 years and I know that's a challenge like I'll relate personally to them that 
you know, I think a certain way because of the way I was raised and the way, you know, I kind of cemented that in a way I raised them. You know, I'll talk about how it can be a challenge to identify the thought, I guess, before you can think about yeah. doing it differently or thinking about it differently. And again, Anne and, and Cole were like right out of the gates. And I don't know if that's their ages or that both were born female. Cole's in the process of exploring their sexual identity right now. Assigned female at Thank you. <laughs> Still learning. Oh my gosh, there's so much to learn, right? Not there are. All those things are learned. So the Nikki corrected, um, just for listeners, Nikki um, corrected to the assigned female at birth as the kind of appropriate way to label someone who's in the process of exploring their identity, right? Thanks. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you're fine. Don't worry. I just, like other folks who are listening will want to know those things too. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, I don't know if it's, again, his gender or his age or the fact that he was the firstborn, but there was a a little bit more resistance and a little bit more almost defensiveness about, well, the way we did it was right, Dad, so I don't know why we have to change it. Yeah, there's sort of, I mean, a cultural expectation of, like, men don't talk about their feelings that I think he was very much steeped in. And so to hear us all saying, like, man, that must have been tough, like, you must have felt <laughs> was tough at first and whether that's like a well you know I turned out fine why are we changing things now or whether that's you know toxic masculinity stuff or it had been a little bit more challenging to start to have those conversations but it's been really helpful recently because he's going through his first breakup and he's to kind of talk about you know what those things are and we kind of had some dialogue about you know codependency and some trends that were happening in that relationship that had gone really run its course I think and there were a lot of good lessons to be learned there but we you know I think being able to sort of lay a foundation for your feelings are there to sort of give you information about your experience and to let you know that you know maybe a thing is not working out or that you need more support so it wound up being we'd gone through some pretty tumultuous months with Michael and then I think we I think when we were needed when that feeling stuff was needed he was able to kind of say like maybe it is worthwhile to sit down and talk And what was great is like he approached us with it. So we didn't have to like, even though he was resistant, he was listening the whole time. So that when he did come around, like he was using the language that we had used with him without hesitation or without resistance. So I guess on everyone's journey, there has to be a moment where they're ready to change, regardless of how much they're aware of what needs to change or what needs to be different. And it was refreshing. And, you know, it was very positive for me, at least when he came back around and you know was using the stuff that we've been talking about for months and meeting nothing but resistance and you know kind of seeing the openness with with which he used some of those those same words and, and tools that's so beautiful that's such a lesson in kind of keep going and i think to some kids who maybe have are older and who've experienced a different sort of parenting when they see respectful parenting in action feelings of intense jealousy can arise too, where there's a hurting child inside of those teens or tweens who are resentful that they didn't get the opportunity to have their feelings, that they didn't get this dad or this mom, you know, that they didn't have those things. And it can, that's a very intensely painful thing. And when we feel something painful, we get defensive and we reject it because it's so uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think that's definitely what happened with Michael, the 18 year old. I think for him, this was, and he can do things like this about other things. Like we've talked about buying the younger two a car to share because a lot of their friends live about 30 minutes away. So we thought when we can buy them like an old safe car. And the thought was like, well, you didn't buy me a car. Like I had to buy my own car. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of, there's this like, well, where were you when, you know, that kind of, that does seem to happen. And I think there's, it's tough, I think, for him to be coming into adulthood while a new family is sort of forming around him. I think it's, it's been a little challenging. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so then kind of circling back to the wanting to kind of create a space where Charlotte can grow and develop in it. So the, what she's, she's in the phase of life where she's developing her internal working models of herself and others. That's a phrase that comes from the attachment theory literature. And it's basically where we get our narratives and our thoughts of, if I do this, then I'm worthy of love. If I do this, then I'm acceptable. If I don't do this, then I'm not worthy. You know, like that's, you know, this is how people show love. So people show love by, you know, X, Y, and Z, like all of those theories that we have are being built in. I mean, they really get going in the three to five range. That's what's happening right now. And explaining that, that process to the older kids around like what a critical developmental time period it is for the kids in that younger age range. Yeah. And then working to kind of create this culture of we want everybody to have a safe place to express the full range of human emotion. And so for your older ones to have that safe place where they don't feel like they have to modulate what they say, where they can have the thoughts that come naturally so that those thoughts can come out into the open and you guys can have a chance to reflect back on them and help them process them and restructure them. Phrasing it in like, we want you to be able to do that. We don't want you to have to hold things back. And so we would like to have those conversations in private where you don't have to worry about what's going on with Charlotte. You don't have to worry about her hearing you because we don't want you to feel like you have to mask your feelings or change your feelings. We want to be able to protect Charlotte and we know you want to protect Charlotte too, kind of assuming the best and saying, so when you have these things, they come up, I would really love it if we can go to another room and have it be just you and me. And that way my time and attention and brain power can be kind of devoted to you too. I was phrasing it as a, like, this is a positive for you and protective for Charlotte would be good. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you mind if I give you an example of a really hard time? (laughs) Please do. I think that that would be so helpful. So Anne had, well, as a family, we'd adopted this kitten that we'd found on a strawberry farm. So the farmer had this kit in the barn. It had infected eyes. It was really sick. He offered it to us and it was just too sick to say no. And so Brian and I both pass it back and forth to each other. Like, well, I think you really have to talk to dad about it. I think you really have to talk. I think we knew when we saw the sick kitty, we were taking it home, even though we had talked about like, we're going to get a, we'll add a new pet to the family when the time is right. Mm -hmm. It was hard to see this, you know, little guy in pain and not be there for him. So yeah. So we'd said no to the healthy kitties. Then they seemed to find a sick cat. (laughs) um, But Anne had been the one asking for the cat and And so she really took over responsibility for the cat. And the thought was that Anne was going to be the cat's mom and Cole was going to be the cat's 
I think that they decided Cole would be the uncle or yeah, something like so. that. It was yeah. a very unusual family tree. Um, but anyway, so they had brought the kitten to their uncle's house who had a pool and another kid there suggested that they see if the cat can swim. And Anne, kind of against her own better judgment, feeling some social pressure, agreed. And then the kitten went back into like a little bit of a shock, shivery state, which is, you know, for a kitten his age, it was a pretty dangerous decision. And so following that, Anne had the kitten wrapped up, but like not quite in a towel and had made some not great choices rather than talking to an adult to let someone know what had happened. So we kind of had to have a hard conversation and say like, we're really surprised. What were you thinking? You know, and I think that everyone that approached it was calm. Not what were you thinking? Like, what were you thinking? But like, what? what? Tell me more about, you, you were yeah. curious. Not, it was like curious, what were you thinking? Not an accusatory, yes. what were exactly, you thinking? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so we had, you do some of those conversations. One of the adults kind of took the cat, wrapped up the cat. And then Anne took some time by herself, was feeling pretty upset and pretty mad at herself. And then began to text Cole in the car about, you know, I think that you should be the cat's dad instead of the cat's uncle. Like, I just don't think that I am a good parent. The cat's not going to like me now. So Cole began to talk about it. I mean, and to Anne's credit, she did try to keep the roughest parts of her feelings away from uh, Charlotte, who was also in the car. So... But Cole at that point said, I really think this is something that's too important to talk about via text, which is very mature. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I prefer that we were talking about it out loud. And Anne was having some pretty big feelings about having let the cat down. The cat survived and is completely healthy. But Anne's narrative at the time was, he's not going to love me anymore. I feel like he's going to be angry at me. You know, everybody saw me make this huge mistake and everyone is mad. Nobody likes me. And since that big explosive moment, Charlotte has really had this, like, should I be worried that people will be mad kind of story. And I really think the right thing was for Anne to have an adult to talk to. And the drive home was about a 45 minute long drive. So, I mean, in that moment, like the tension between like, how do we talk to Anne about her feelings, protect Charlotte, make sure Cole doesn't have the pressure. So the question became, you know, it's a 45 minute long car drive. How do we protect Charlotte from the big feelings of Anne, allow Anne time to process her feelings with a trusted adult in real time, stop Cole from being the primary source for Anne, processing those challenging feelings and having to do a difficult conversation via text. It was really tricky. So, uh, you know, it was 45 minutes. I didn't feel comfortable leaving Anne in distress for 45 minutes. I didn't feel like Cole should absorb the responsibility of doing this processing. She's, you know, only 16. And so it was a really challenging moment. So I'd love, I mean, hopefully I'm never in this exact moment again, but I'd love your feedback because I'm sure I'll be in similar ones. Yeah. So first of all, I think you need to offer yourself so much grace and compassion and just everybody for your family. It sounds like this was a really difficult situation and you all handled it beautifully. And so like, we can't go back in time. We can't change how it happened. Right. And you guys did pretty well. Okay. And so I want you to all just be pretty pleased with yourselves on, on that. Okay. And then thinking about in the future, when situations like that come up, 
Well, so there's two things. I think that there's still opportunities to kind of circle back and process with the various kids in this scenario. So we can talk about that in the second. But in the future, things that you can do in that moment when you are trying to support a kiddo who's got really big feelings and you know tends towards catastrophizing and black and white thinking, having had a like a preparatory conversation with her like ahead of time about when those things come up because they will because that's how some people's brains, you know, are and those are, thoughts are opportunities to heal yourself and your brain is very good at giving you opportunities to heal yourself like that having that conversation ahead of time so when those big things come up I want to be available and like emotionally available to support you and I also want you to be able to have the space to do that in private so next time like in making a plan a collaborative plan for what to do next time with her with Anne I think would be good and I mean with all of the kids too in a situation like that where you like it's time sensitive the feelings are big she is kind of catastrophizing and you need to kind of pull her back in having headphones and a podcast or an audiobook for the little one might be a really great thing to have just kind of on hand so that you can pop that on for her. My five-year-old loves the Magic Treehouse series of audiobooks. You can buy just like they come in like a pack of like nine it's like books one through nine all on one track you know so she loves those or there's lots of sweet little podcasts too that can be listened to I took like my old iPod touch and loaded it with those things for my kids to be able to like I mean it's mine it's not theirs but they and I stripped everything else off of it so it just has podcasts and music and audiobooks on it but that's something that is an option to like get ear covering headphones on so she can, so you can have those conversations and she can be kind of be in the space in a situation like that, where you're in the car, like riding, having the, if the teen, the kid is old enough to sit in the front seat with one of the grownups, that can also be a good way to do that. Lots of teens express enjoying having car rides as opportunities to talk with their parent because they're looking straight on um, ahead and you don't have to deal with the eye contact piece of things that which can amplify big emotions. And when a person is already feeling flooded with a big emotion, Sometimes having that distance can be helpful. Sometimes having those conversations over text can also be really helpful for kids who are f- feeling flooded with big emotions because the tone of voice and the nuance that happens when someone is validating um, your feelings and supporting you can kind of open the floodgates. And so for some kids are, who are kind of like trying to keep it, hold it together, when we open those floodgates, it feels very overwhelming and scary. So those are some thoughts about like for the future, but I think you can still circle back and process those things, particularly, you know, with Charlotte, she is not too little to have her brain and her thoughts explained to her and that, you know, even going to a place of like, you didn't even know that you might ever have to worry about someone having, you know, thinking bad things about you when you make a bad choice. Right. Because we know that, you know, what you do has nothing to do with how people feel about, you know, how people love you. You know, your lovableness isn't tied to your behavior. Your lovableness is tied to who you are. We know that. I know you know that. 
but not everybody does know that. And sometimes they have worries and thoughts about whether or not they're lovable. And that's all that was happening there. But we know, you know, and kind of circling back to your core values and what you really want to communicate to her. And then she's also not too young to start working with her thoughts. You know, so my kids really like the concept of an inner coach and an inner critic. Um, so this is something that my daughter's OT taught to her. And so she taught my younger daughter because um, kids like to teach each other things too, right? But so the idea that we have voices in our heads that tell us things about ourselves and those voices sometimes tell us things that are not so nice. Things like you can't do this or you're a bad kid or everybody hates you. That's the inner critic. And then we also have voices that tell us positive things about ourselves. Like you can do this. You can do hard things. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to make mistakes. And that's your inner coach and that you get to choose who you listen to. You can't always stop the inner critic from talking, but you can choose what, whether or not you believe the inner critic. Um, and that is absolutely a conversation that a five-year-old can understand and take on board. And once you have the language of the inner critic and the inner coach, then then you can say like, hmm, that sounds like something an inner critic would say. Is your inner critic talking to you right now? Oh, she is? Well, what can we say back to her? You know, and like start coaching that thought process because you are not going to be able to control all the thoughts and narratives and stories that Charlotte is going to be exposed to. That any of your, like none of us can control those things. They're going to go to school. They're going to have interactions with grandparents. They're going to have peer relationships and interactions um, with friends that shift and shape the way that they think about themselves. We can't, it's just like when we're trying to control the interactions that kids have with grandparents. We can't wrap them in bubble wrap and make sure or wrap their brains in bubble wrap and make sure that they only ever get positive experiences around emotions and big feelings. And they will have one, they will get negative messages. They will get the message sometimes that their, their feelings are too big or that they have, you know, they aren't lovable if they behave in a certain way. That message is pervasive in our culture and they will get it. And so the best thing that we can do then is equip them to know what to do when those messages start coming in and what to do with them and how to consciously and critically examine them and decide whether to take them on. And a five-year-old is not too young to start doing that. We just have to use the language that's good for them. I don't know if this is helpful. Very. Yeah. yeah. I, I know we're talking a lot about Charlotte um, and the inner coach, inner critic, but I could see Anne using that language with Anne being really helpful too. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, all the kids really, but I use it for myself too. I'm so grateful that my OT gave us that language. You know, it's just so not like there's times too where I'm like having a bad parenting day or and I've made mistakes and I'm like really down on myself and my daughter will be like, mommy, it sounds like you're listening to your inner critic and that inner critic lies. She doesn't yeah, tell the truth. Really, I mean, like. You treat yourself with compassion at that point too. Yeah, right. I, you know, I mean, and that's. That's what it is. But we, like, we all get caught up in our thoughts sometimes, you know, and it's easy to do. And when we have the language as a family for what to do in those moments, and we have the trust and the relationships and the connection and the kind of the culture, the family culture of we make mistakes and we are compassionate with ourselves and with each other as we are learning and growing as imperfect humans, like that's, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And it sounds to me like that's what you're cultivating in your family. 
And I think we do really see it, like Anne's comment about, you know, how I was doing a great job resting when I had needed to lay down for a concussion was very sweet. And yesterday I had like a tumble while I was giving Charlotte a shower and she goes, Mama, that was a scary moment, but you were so brave and I'm really proud of you. Like it was just, you know, like these little moments where you see like, I'm doing it. I must be doing it right because you're doing it, you know? It's so good to celebrate and recognize when that's happening, you know, and there will probably be moments when your kids repeat back to you not so great things too, right? They're so good at holding a mirror up to us, but when they are reflecting something positive back, oh, you've got to revel in that and you are doing a beautiful job. Thank you. Can we talk a little bit more about the catastrophizing? Because that's the first time I've heard that word used, but it is a really apt description of what happens with Anne sometimes. I'd really like to talk a little bit more about like when that spiraling place happens of like, you know, nobody likes me, everyone's mad, I'm not welcome. How we as a family kind of help, especially the adults in the family, how we, I don't know if de-escalate is the right word, but something to that effect. (laughs) Can I ask, does Anne have a therapist that she sees? Is that some an option that she's explored or that you guys have explored? Yeah, she has seen a therapist in the past and we're kind of in the process of like finding the right one for her. I found, you know, the relationship you have with that therapist is probably more important than what letters they have after their name. Brian, you have such beautiful intuition. Do you know oh, you. there is a whole body of research that proves exactly that, that the relationship between client and therapist is, has more impact on change than their approach or the methods that they use. Yeah, so both Cole and Anne were seeing the same therapist and they just had a, a really unpositive experience and in both kids were like yeah I'm not going there anymore and since then we found a therapist that that Cole really meshes well with and Anne has even said well maybe I'll consider going back to the 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 one before like she was okay and I'm like well okay is all right but you know it would be better if we found someone for you that that you feel good about working. Yeah, goodness of fit is super important. I think it would be helpful for her to have someone who is actively working on and can give some, almost some like psychoeducation around like what's happening in the brain when those thoughts start spiraling and, and how to get out of a spiral. Those are absolutely things that are taught in cognitive behavioral therapy. And so finding someone who is a CBT oriented therapist who works with teens I think would be really good. Um, Just some tips in finding a therapist. They will likely list themselves as being an adolescent. Sometimes social workers can are very solution focused. Their training in general, I don't want to make a broad sweeping statement, but in general, so social work folks often are very well trained in solution focused methods and in like cognitive methods. So an MSW would be the letters after the name that might be helpful. But one of the things that I think is so important as you're looking for for a therapist, and this is for everybody, but as you're looking for a therapist, if the therapist lists 
all age ranges and all specialties and all areas of interest, they are casting a wide net and likely don't specialize in any one thing. And that's fine. Like a general therapist can be wonderful, but finding someone who has the specific specialty or interest, because as therapists, you know, as a former therapist myself, there's things that I was better at. There were, I was very good at working with folks with trauma, with complex trauma um, and restructuring their narratives around it. That was something that my clients who found me often had those things to do. I was good at it. Not, I mean, other people have, there's some folks who are really good at working with adolescents and, and love adolescents, love teens, just love that developmental time period. And as a result, they get better results. So, you know, and then also like advocating for yourself and for Anne or any of your kids who are looking for a therapist that all therapists are aware of how important goodness of fit is. That's something that we are, are all trained in. And if they're unwilling to have a phone conversation to explore goodness of fit, then that's a little bit of an indicator that they might not be as invested in the relationship because you're so right, Brian, that the relationship, the connection, that fit is so important. But people should be willing to have a conversation with you to see if you're a good fit or have a trial session with you um, to see if you're a good fit. It's important to do that. And if you go in with that language, like goodness of fit and all of those things, then that they know that you know something about it too, which is, can be helpful. Okay, thank you. I would love to see Anne getting some of those skills and if she's feeling comfortable um, with it, like inviting you into some of those sessions so you can make a plan together for what to do when she's spiraling. So catastrophizing would be a great word to teach her to teach her about like negative thought spirals about how when our brain is really efficient and we can get onto thought paths and it's almost like if you're driving on a gravel road you know how you aren't supposed to get towards the edge of I don't know are you guys in places where there's gravel roads maybe this is not something that people who don't live in the country know but if you're driving on a gravel road if you get towards the edge or a dirt road if things are looser and you can get sucked down into the ditch and that happens with our thoughts too so if we're, you know, having thoughts and they get close to something that we're used to thinking, something negative, we can kind of get sucked down into the ditches of our brain. And then there's all of that mess of thoughts that don't serve us, that aren't real, that aren't rooted in reality or the truth of our worthiness. And then we get sucked into that spiral, you know, and so recognizing like, what are my like borderline thoughts? What are the thoughts that are on the edge of that gravel road, you know, that get me sucked in and starting noticing when they're coming up and getting yourself back into middle ground. And the way to get back into middle ground is through compassion, you know? And so that's the other thing too, if she's open to a mindfulness practice, a regular self-compassion based mindfulness practice might be quite lovely for you guys as a family. I love loving kindness meditations. They're something that I do for myself personally, because I can't be a compassionate parent without having my compassion cup overflowing, you know, and so I have to continually offering it, offer it to myself so that I can be compassionate and giving of grace to others. But I think that that would probably be really helpful for her too. Do you have any teen specific resources about compassion meditations, like apps or books or websites you'd check out? 
Yeah. So the Calm app has some great kid and adolescent friendly stuff going on in it. So there's several free kids ones. I don't know exactly about the, for teens. I haven't, I don't get that question as much um, as I do for littler kids, but I think that's a good thing. But yes, if I find some things, I will send them to you, but the Calm app would be a good place to start. But teens, you know, so the website self-compassion, like self-compassion.org has lots of great free guided meditations and guided journaling exercises that you could probably check out and pretty easily modify be relevant for Anne. But even things just like a, a regular compassion practice at the dinner table. So one thing that we do is we go around the table and share like what was one thing that we were proud of today? What was one mistake that we made today? Um, and one way that we were kind to ourselves today. You know, like those are like opportunities to see that we all make mistakes. We're all human beings. Common humanity is a core concept in compassion-based mindfulness practices. We are all imperfect beings. And having a practice where you are regularly and vulnerably and self-compassionately recognizing your imperfectness is a wonderful thing, especially for someone who has lots of fears about their worthiness and their acceptability and lovability, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, we do a daily gratitude practice during dinner. So yeah, yeah. just to add a, a couple more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's sometimes there's resistance for kids. And so even if they aren't participating, if you guys participate in it, they will eventually join you probably and they'll still get the benefit from it. Yeah. Again, that's one of those things that the kids just took to like yeah. uh, something Nikki and, and Charlotte did in their dinners. Then I would do in dinners with them. And then as a family, we would all do it. And the older kids now will be like, hey, should we do grateful? Yeah. Which, and it's, it's so refreshing to see them, you know, owning some of the, the behaviors and practices that that we feel are so important. Funnily, like the one who gave us the most resistance, Charlotte went through a period where she was not excited about it anymore and it would get to be her turn and she'd say, I'm grateful for food or (laughs) grateful for nothing sometimes. (laughs) Or sometimes it was everything, you know. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. I'm just grateful for everything. Yeah. But now she's back on track. She went through a couple of months of, yeah. But I think that that's fun like a nice thing to do. Yeah. I think the modeling, like you mentioned, definitely is, is helpful for all the kids. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, it feels like this is a good place to wrap up. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, Nikki and Brian, I'm always just, I love getting a chance to talk with you guys. I think you are beautiful models for doing this thing together as a team, being open and vulnerable to change and growth. I think you're beautiful parents. Thank you for being here with us and sharing this with us. We really appreciate your insight. You definitely make it easier for us to do our job, (laughs) but we got to do this together, right? We're all in this together. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.